Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Click, pay, and download instantly. Welcome to the podcast. It is the worst of the riot podcast. Happy Tuesday to you. We only have a few days left of our fall fundraiser. Yeah. So a few more days of a slightly shorter podcast, uh, but still lots of good content. Lots of great stuff. Lots of great stuff. Uh, But remember, we cannot continue Radio U or our riot stuff or our podcast without getting our funding needed to make Radio U a possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't sell you guys mattresses the entire year. (laughs) Instead, we have our podcast um, and we just, you know, like to remind you if you ever want to consider supporting Radio U financially as a podcast listener that does help since that's a a big cost of the riot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you go to RadioU.com and help support our podcast, uh, put that you're a listener to the podcast in the (laughs) comment section and we'd love to thank you for supporting uh, this. Mind you, I mean, we definitely need the donations, but another great way to support leaving us a nice rating, telling your friends, getting the word out about the podcast is helpful as well. Today on the podcast, we talked about how if you've been in college recently or even just school, uh, it might be just harder than it has been in the past because your motivation levels are just so darn low. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't high to begin with. No, exactly. that's for sure. <laughs> and you're like, it can't go much lower. Yes, it can. It, can. it absolutely can. Yeah, and it doesn't help that uh, for almost all adults, too, once you get to adult life, nobody's like, yep, I wish I was more motivated in school. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, your, your minimal motivation was probably, probably about right. And I think with this survey that you'll hear, it talks about, you know, like uh, back when you were learning more at home compared to learning in a classroom, mm-hmm. I bet you it's pretty spot on for how it is, even if you're not in classes, but if you work and you yeah. re- worked remotely yep. and you're working back in the office, uh, no one wants to do anything, <laughs> No, <laughs> whether you're at home or in the office or in the classroom, but this has some study numbers behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I, also, it's funny on that note because the people are like working remotely so much. My my roommate who works like remotely like every other week. Yeah. I'll come home and he's working remotely and he's just either taking a nap on the couch. <laughs> he's got like his little like workforce thing or yeah. whatever, like open on his computer. And so it looks like he's looks like, like on, <laughs> but he's just sleeping. Hey. And I'm like, dude, you got to He's like, he's like, the sad part is they're paying me right now. <laughs> as long as he's making his quota. Exactly. As long right? as he's hitting the numbers. One of my favorite TikToks to see was um, they were popular to, to kind of like show someone doing nothing for the whole week. And then yeah. it's Friday and you have 20 minutes till the end of your work day. So you're trying to squeeze your entire yes. work week into 20 <laughs> minutes and you're like no one bother me yeah <laughs> yeah yep, we've all been there no you haven't you work hard every yeah. day we can't do that with this job we can't just yeah we can't really uh cram it all into 20 minutes but can we're we? jealous no. if you have a yeah, job we would love can. to yeah i'm sure like would. i wish i could just do my job from home from i'm like home. i feel like i'd be so you know i'd be so productive at home what? and then if you sent me home i would not be productive well, <laughs> why can't we just have like a, if we just had a job where it was all documents and spreadsheets and 
You That's know, terrible. Well, the problem is, yeah, but we'll be able to do it so quickly and then and then goof off the rest of the time. I know, but which you is know kind what? of what we do actually. We have the curse of uh, these loud mouths. Yeah, and yeah. there's only certain jobs that'll have us. Yeah, <laughs> because here our loud mouths are encouraged and flourished and yeah. grown, but in a work environment, we'd be fired long ago because well, you can't be quiet. You also <laughs> have to think if we ever got out of radio and into another line of work, this would be used against us. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. they'd be like, well, your resume looks nice, but What's I also this? listen to your show, and it sounds like you are a terrible employee. Yeah. So it sounds don't like you're we're, awful. We're um, going to not go with so you. I think we should just stay here and <laughs> just duck our heads and keep down low. Uh, we also talked about on the show a new form of vaccination mm-hmm. uh, that was, it seems pretty cool. I mean, dropping from airplanes, like was the helicopters, mm-hmm. airplanes, um, but more for rabies. Yeah. Which, yeah. Like, well. It's like a weird thing. Like I never really think about like that. Like animals like could have like rabies and stuff. Yeah. And so like when I let like Jim out, my dog, to go to the bathroom or <laughs> anything, could also have rabies. Could, yeah. And so it. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I know we got like the shots and everything, but like, does that fully protect him? I don't know. Yeah, mm. it keeps him from turning. From turning what? <laughs> from what foaming at the mouth? Yeah. Because yeah. he could be the one that could bite somebody. So if he and and, and listen, so if he like got rabies, yeah. like would he be like a wild animal all of a sudden, well, or would it still be the he, same? He won't get it because he got a shot. Yes, but what? It, let's say he did get it. Would yes. he like turn all of your rabid? All I of only... your minimal training you've done would go yeah. out the window. Oh, I mean, yeah. he'd still poop on the bed, but he would also start biting. <laughs> this is an everyday thing. Yeah, he'd also. <laughs> always... I feel like we're only going by zombie movies at yeah, this that's point. Yeah, like what a zombie turns. So I yeah. don't, or a human turns into zombies. Yeah, I think the rabies shot keeps them from ever being able to get it, uh, and they can't go like give the shot to the raccoons yeah uh, so then this is like the vaccination that way interesting uh, someone's like a vet person going you're wrong you're all wrong <laughs> this is just all incorrect information <laughs> like, i don't know what you guys are spreading but that's but not what's happening we need a vaccine against misinformation <laughs> on the riot yeah <laughs> oh we would have that misinformation pop-up thing come up yeah it'd be like instead of covid yes. it's rabies it's a good thing uh, facebook isn't analyzing yeah, this podcast like not. i mean they might one day but not now They'd be disappointed for sure. Yeah. yeah, they also you also get to hear a segment that was almost just completely thrown off by Hudson's manners. I mean, <laughs> did you hear it? Yes, I hear heard. I mean, I listened. I listened back to it oh as my I was. Gosh, I, I but, but like, it wasn't like if you listen to it, like you don't really like. It isn't that noticeable. Sure. See? But you guys pointed it out. So oh, <laughs> I wouldn't let it go either. But like when they listen to it, it won't be like, oh my gosh, like that just happened. It'd be like, okay, Nikki said it happened, so it happened. But that's yeah. the beauty of the podcast. You can rewind and listen as many listen, times as yeah, you want. Cool. Computer you enhance can. it if you Isaiah, want to. I need you to enhance it yeah, and I know. put it at the end of the podcast and just have nothing but the burp. On a relay like three <laughs> yeah. times in a row. Listen, guys, I shouldn't have to work in that environment, okay? Yeah. I shouldn't have to hear that in my headphones. Well, I think we should just be comfortable around each other. God help us if that and happens. so that's that's what I'm. That's just a sign that I feel comfortable. Another level I feel vulnerable today. here, no. and I'm okay with. Imagine that. where we'll be in a couple months <laughs> if this is how comfortable we are now. Well, enjoy the podcast today. Um, please again consider supporting or at least checking out how you can support through RadioU.com. Uh, we're almost done with the fall fundraiser. Almost back to our normal podcast. Real quick, I said, excuse me. <laughs> You're such a dork. <laughs> I said, I said, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
Yeah, it doesn't, okay. like, doesn't make you just wash it away what happened. What? It excuses it's like what saying I did. It says I'm, it's like you're saying I'm sorry, but that isn't like just completely cater over everything you did. Like you still did it, but like, like we can I forgive you. Sorry. <laughs> Catch you next time. Bye. This is the Worst of the Riot podcast. Isaiah, you went to college, right? Yes, I did. You, did. you finished it, though, right? I, yes, I, I did. Wait, did you go to, did you, Nikki, I don't even know. Did you go to college? Or? Uh, like a year and a half. I yeah? didn't finish it. Oh, you it. didn't finish? Well, then I started my illustrious career in radio. And they were like, you don't need to do that anymore. I was going to say, uh, Isaiah, you know you don't need a college degree to do this at all. Yes, I know. I know. So uh, it, it just depends on uh, not everybody finishes now. But yeah. I, I went to broadcasting school, which uh, so I went even less than Nikki, but I did graduate. Uh, it's just so easy. Sure. That I just, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Isaiah, as the resident college graduate. For the yes. longest you're the, time in college. You're the expert on this. We have a some research from the American Academy of Pediatrics, and they say that as college students are switching to remote learning, which they were doing anyways, and then with the pandemic, it was even obviously became basically the norm. Uh, They're saying that four in five college students are finding it hard to concentrate on their schoolwork while taking classes online. Mm -hmm. Do you think, how do you think that number compares to just taking classes in person? Well, well, I think taking classes in person is hard enough. But when I had to go, because I had to go online because I was in school like during the pandemic. It was like the end of my college career. Okay. And it was terrible because I'm like an in-person like kind of learner. And so like when I went online, like I also was going to school for broadcasting. So like there's not really a good way to teach radio online or like TV or broadcasting in general. So I felt like it was pretty silly to even try to do it. Uh And then when I was at home like on my laptop, like if you're laying in your bed trying to do work yeah. it just doesn't like doesn't matter that's what not, you're doing it doesn't work like it doesn't envi- work at all that's a, not an environment that lends itself <laughs> no they're, they're saying it's also hard to go back and forth so like if you have to go to remote learning or you're back in person and then mm. they're like just kidding and then you go back to <laughs> yeah. remote learning uh so the survey or they're finally coming out with more details said the the struggle to balance remote classes and your household responsibilities that's funny uh you mean going through all the netflix shows yeah uh, that <laughs> That was very stressful and very hard on people's mental health uh, when it came to online learning. I wonder, there has to be, right? More people that just, because of online learning, don't really live at school full time. In fact, they might still live at home and they're doing all their classes from home. So they do actually have like their mom nagging at them to get out, you know, like <laughs> get to work, back to yeah, work. The some real, schools, you know, the real college experience. I don't know. Some colleges required you still staying. Yeah, I'm sure. On yeah. campus, even though you weren't allowed to go to classes. Right. It makes like, well, okay. not a lot of sense. <laughs> and then everybody just, you know, we're in dorms and, and still sick. So yeah. <laughs> still sick there. Uh, it just, I think it was hard for everybody. Yeah. So, the, uh, but, so what is the answer? They don't give that. Uh, they just, do say that 4.6% of people doing this survey had no problems while they remote learned only during that, COVID. Well, sounds that like the people many, that just huh? didn't care. Like 100%. They were like, what? I wasn't really doing well anyways. Yeah. So like now I cannot do well like from my home. It sounds even better. Let's not do well in my pajamas. Exactly. It's, uh, it's really a match made in heaven. For I don't me. know if there was even really a uh, an ending point to this study no, or survey. Just, it was just saying how, you know, if you ever did have problems when you were remote learning, don't yeah. feel bad. 
bad. I guess you, you weren't alone. alone. Yeah, you weren't alone with it. Yeah. Isaiah had trouble too. I yeah. did. Yes, yeah. I did. But I, I just wish there was. Uh, we get these studies and they're like, here's a problem, and there's never a study of, okay, here's what we do to fix it because sure. it's just. I guess everybody's just not going to get a lot out of college. Is is the resolution? But that's to the this. answer, I guess. Yeah, that's it. We're just. Yep, pay pay thousands and thousands of dollars and uh, have trouble concentrating. Here, I'm going to put that in the survey right now. Yes. So have trouble concentrating, which we did before school and yes. we still have after. Yes, and, but <laughs> also make sure that it's very expensive to have trouble pay concentrating. Pay for that opportunity. Yes, of yes, I got that all in there. Yeah, all right. Well, add, contribute that to the data. <laughs> Mark it down as Hudson. Make sure you yes. put it as in the other column. Uh, put and a, as Dr. Hudson. Yeah, Dr. Hudson, exactly. Yeah, Expert yeah, sure. Hudson. The riot promise is that Bill always have an opinion on everything they talk about. But that doesn't mean any of their opinions will make sense. This is The Riot on Radio U. I love this in Tennessee. They are taking to the skies to drop uh, vaccines covered in food to try to make sure that they vaccinate the population. So at first when we saw this, I said, is it COVID? <laughs> Isn't that a shot? It's not for humans. And it's not and for it's humans. Not COVID. It's for uh, rabies for raccoons yeah, in Tennessee. They Apparently they do this fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. It's actually a normal thing where they really don't want the raccoons having rabies, spreading that to people's pets, livestock, and then, of course, humans. So they just try to covertly get the raccoons to just eat the vaccine by their own free will, not maybe even realizing what they're doing. And of course you can only, you can only, you can't help but to draw conclusions or to draw parallels between what we have to do with humans uh, with the COVID vaccine right now. Cause of course that's what our minds went to right away. And so Nikki, what I'm wondering is if they were going to hide, if, if they were going to push aside all of the, you know, just, uh, all of the different tactics they've used to sure. try to get people to take the COVID all the vaccine. And right. Yeah. yeah. All the free stuff. It was just like, hey, uh, we are going to hide the COVID vaccine in some kind of food. We're not going to tell people about it. And we just think that this is the best way. What do you think it'd be? What food would they choose? Um, well, I don't know. Since this is like they eat it, but then the other is a shot. Um, gosh. Well, you just and inject it into the food, though. I feel like there'd have to be some partnership, <laughs> meaning like, you know, oh, the, yeah, some... the government would be like, here, go and have a free nugget. <laughs> but, see, I don't even think they would have to make it free because that would, uh, yes, they would. It would raise questions. No, they absolutely would. Nope, they'd they be like, would... here's your free holiday well, Milkshake. Actually, that's a, no, you're right. It doesn't matter what the food is. As long as they make it's it free, free there will be a line in. out the door. That's why the raccoons are Especially eating if it's something really, <laughs> if it's something that's more than, you're right, because the free nuggets, that wouldn't be enough. It would have to be something you wouldn't expect to get for free that you would almost be suspicious of, but not quite. And so, they would trick you by making it an app exclusive. <laughs> So you can only get the free nuggets that way. And the app would track you. It would track you. But no, if you took advantage, and then they would know who took the vaccine and who didn't. Because you ate oh, the nuggets. It's all, it's all coming together now. Well, Jim was saying maybe Twinkies or zebra cakes. I think that'd be a good call, but I feel like it, it'd have to be probably more like a main food yeah, item. Yeah, it has to be so universal. Mm-hmm. And well, nuggets or fries would be probably yeah, it for so this. Obviously, water would be the easy one. But and even Dave, then, who's drinking water? <laughs> David said it'd probably be in the free Krispy Kreme donuts because <laughs> of their partnership with it. But back to the uh, the, the raccoons, because uh-huh. um, they have to get rid of rabies. Yeah, uh, that's what we're really talking they're about. They're saying that they dropped them 
them from uh, airplanes and helicopters uh-huh. and that this is pretty common for them to do. Uh, so they want to do this every season and they assume the raccoons because raccoons don't care. Uh, they'll eat anything. That <laughs> yeah. is, it's pretty well known that they'll go ahead and eat the rabies vaccines that they airdrop. Yeah, that's that's true. Raccoons are not very discerning. Oh, I wonder the trash pandas. <laughs> I wonder if it'll vaccine other animals too. You don't even I realize. I think so. Yeah, I think. Ra- yeah, like either obviously bears or other animals that might eat similar food to raccoons. But then if they don't eat it and it just wastes away there in the woods, maybe the worms are getting vaccinated because it gets into the soil. I don't know if the worms are rabies worried or well, do they come after you? Can't you can't be too careful, though. It's like, this worm scratched me. <laughs> Nothing's worse, by the way, than if you get scratched by like an animal and they start to throw it around. It's like when they throw around the tetanus shot yeah. and then they throw around, you need to go get a shot yeah, because nobody uh, wants to get shot. You touched what thought would be a nice raccoon because <laughs> we used to get a mirror in the uh, dump at yeah. Radio U. Uh-huh. Man, I it's tempting. Like Diamonds might be most girls' best friend. But for Nikki, it's DoorDash. <laughs> the Riot on Radio, on Radio U. U. It is also practically Christmas, and I thought that uh, it would be appropriate to talk about the new sodas that we uh, might be coming our way, maybe just in time for Christmas, it looks like, from Mountain Dew. Man, you spoiled it, though. Hudson Offair was telling me we had years ago this Kroger f- brand, yes. which is also like Ralph's and a few other uh, grocery stores, depending on which region that you're in. Yep. They had this uh, store brand of the peppermint soda. Yeah, it was store brand, and it was, it was candy cane. And this was years ago now. Yeah, I know. And it you was said they so haven't many had years it. ago. And they haven't had it since. Ah. They haven't even, uh, you know, had a doubt. They haven't even done other special flavors of soda since that experiment. And it's so sad because that was that stuff was, that was great. The best. But so maybe anybody, we'll get an announcement about that one day. If anybody ever sees that, you must let us know because Hudson brought that in one um, holiday, and yep. it was so oh, so it was good. So good. But here's some other ones you can't get. A consolation prize <laughs> will be the. Ooh, excuse me. The mountain. <laughs> Yeah, it's bound to happen. We're talking for hours at a time. It's bound to happen. What was I supposed to do? Don't know. I don't know. Okay, shake it off. All right. It's all right. It's all right. Hey, it's just the soda talking. It It wants to be part of the story. Mountain Dew. It's coming out with it. You normally around the holidays they do their merry mashup flavor, sure. But instead, they are they're eschewing that one. They're going to be doing gingerbread snapped Mountain Dew instead. Yeah, it will be uh, gingerbread flavored, of course, which doesn't so much as appeal to me, but maybe somebody else is out there thinking. I would love to so slurp up some gingerbread. So gingerbread's supposed to. They started talking about it on Discord like last Christmas, and they said, hey, it's supposed to be coming for this year's holiday flavor. And they say that the tagline is the do with a blast of artificial ginger flavor. <laughs> but at first, it was do with a blast of natural and artificial mm. gingerbread. But they changed the tagline oh, because there's no natural anymore. <laughs> So it's totally gone. Uh, But that'll be the new Mountain Dew flavor this season. You know what? At first, I just scoffed at this, but then I thought one of my favorite things is the Bold Canada Dry. Oh, I bet it is a bit like that. So I wonder if it's like that. (gasps) Oh, I wonder too. If it's more Bold Ginger and less Mountain Dew, Mm -hmm. I'm totally going to be a part of that. But 
If it's if it's like citrusy and then it's got a little gingerbread, that feels weird. <laughs> also, also not I'm Christmas related, <laughs> not Christmas related. But there's also a new Mountain Dew flavor coming to Food Lion. I guess exclusively. it's in the south. That's not uh, here. Yeah, and there's none near us. I used to. Food Lion was a grocery store that uh, that I grew up around, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the grocery store of choice. But they have Mountain Dew Uproar, you know, because of the lion, and uh, it's going to be a delicious mouth-watering berry kiwi flavor with a Mountain Dew twist, which actually sounds pretty nice. I guess it's not just the South, but it's uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and Delaware. Maybe we'll get somebody to send it out I to know, us we'll then. look for that, but yeah. outside of that, that seems to be the two uh, new ones. All right, well, let me go get all my burps out, and we will... <laughs> in my headphones, there's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to really absorb in your ears. There, you can only contain it so, so often, <laughs> so often, and uh, with, yeah, with all the talking we're doing, it's bound to happen now. I mean, bet you're back. <laughs> Worst of the riot podcast. I continue every day when I come into work to feel a new pressure from Nikki. <laughs> That's something I need to change about myself. Well, I just want to make sure we fix this all before we get too far into the riot. You know, I, it was so nice when I came into work in the afternoons and did my show alone because then I could just do what I want and I wouldn't have to be, uh, you know, it, nobody was there to tell me to do otherwise. And now every day there's this, something new Nikki has for me. What if this voice, what if me... It's it's what you're supposed to be doing, and uh-huh. you're not listening. I don't think that's true. Why it's so wrong with me telling you to put creamer in your coffee? This is what Nikki is doing What's today. What's bad about that? It's, and it's actually been a couple days running where she's just like, ooh, cream. Mm. But doesn't it, this cream sound good, Hudson? Ooh, you really should put cream in your coffee. I think I'm about 75, 80% of the cup cream yeah. to coffee ratio. You don't even need the coffee in there. I don't think I do. It's but. just watering down the cream for you. <laughs> But I feel like, and again, you're we're having coffee this morning, um, and I know you're hearing a lot about zebra cakes, uh-huh. but we still get those. Like that's our um, our free snack that yeah, we currently that have in of, our break room. Yeah, that's our snack of the day for the <laughs> last so, few weeks. So we have a lot of zebra cakes, and I know you're eating one with your coffee for uh-huh. your delicious breakfast this morning. Yeah, and I'm just telling you because you said it tastes so good. Why don't you add a little creamer too? It'll because, be so smooth. Listen. There's not a lot of things that are healthy about my lifestyle. But your coffee but is. The few, one of the few <laughs> that is, is years ago, I managed to cut cream out of my coffee. Cream, uh, it was more difficult cutting sugar out of the coffee. Yeah. I used to be the type of person that would put, like, oh, you, you could put sugar packets in? You could stand up a spoon in my coffee <laughs> when I was, when I, in my younger days. Uh, I didn't know that. And oh, I, I cut it I down. <laughs> I cut it down. I got it down to like one spoonful. And then finally I, I eliminated that. And then cream was next on the chopping block. Oh, and now know. I've hit the point. And this is, I've, I've been doing this for a long time now where uh, I have enough appreciation for my coffee. Uh, as long as it's, it's a good cup that I can drink it black. And I do. I choose to do it that way. And I don't want to get back into the situation where I'm drinking creamer in my coffee because creamer is not a healthy choice. It's a lot of sugar. It's a lot of fat in it, I'm sure. A lot of uh, calories and 
maybe carbohydrates. I don't even know. But uh, <laughs> the thing is, like you say, you could say, well, Hudson, you're eating your coffee. You're ha- eating a zebra cake with your coffee. That is basically creamer in a solid form. But the thing is. I'm not. If I started putting cream in my coffee, I'm not going to stop eating zebra cakes. So it's not like I can replace one with the other. So it's just adding them together, which makes it even worse. Now I I will step aside then because I didn't know you had a problem with it back in the day. Uh So I don't want to bring you back. The sugar was ridiculous. It was. Because coffee at that time was something you just felt like you should drink. Oh sure, and uh, you felt like you not you felt like you needed it to fit in, and you needed it to live the hours that you live in my younger days. And now, but I grew out of that to where I'm a functioning adult (laughs) and you just need the coffee to kind of get you through. It's just a little pick me up, but you don't need all that sugar. In fact, that can make things worse. I'm not there yet. I think I do need the sugar Uh because I like just the, the, I like that flavor. I like the flavor of the creamer. I don't even care about the flavor of the coffee. Um, Yeah. That's the hard thing to leave behind is not necessarily the, just the sweetness, but it's hard to leave behind the peppermint I mocha flavors um, or the biscotti, you know, just the various <laughs> different. The flavored creamer can be quite good. It's hard to leave that behind. I'll I admit. won't tempt you anymore. All right. Unless you're looking for someone to blame <laughs> and I'll be it and you want to get back into it. If you I, tell and I me, suddenly have a, a sugar and cream addiction, I <laughs> get back on the horse or off the horse or whatever the terminology would be. And all of a sudden, I'm in cream rehab. I like uh, Matt's text. He says, I should just be drinking flavored milk. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, that's what you should be doing. And that's okay. The only problem with that is it doesn't have caffeine, but you could just add caffeine to that. You know, and you though, wouldn't even have the coffee flavor. I have no problem. Caffeine is not why I have coffee, really. Uh-huh, I yeah. just like the warmth of it. Okay. It's very nice on the voice. Okay. And it's the creamer. <laughs> it is the so creamer. So why, why don't you just warm up the creamer in the microwave? And just have it. Yeah, just have that. And, because it uh, says I can only have like two tablespoons <laughs> and it's horrible that's, for you. That is the uh, that's the wake up call right and there. I think I have maybe a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so I am very well. Uh, I know that I should not have as much as I'm having. Yeah. But it would be uh, probably better if I just switched to something else. <laughs> just get a chocolate milk in the yeah, morning. Yeah, <laughs> get a muscle milk or something. <laughs> something like that. And you'll get the same effects. And it wouldn't, and it wouldn't have coffee involved. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> you were one of the lucky few who missed the riot when they were live. Yet here you are. I also like to live dangerously. This is the worst of the riot podcast. We have here the odds of dying if you go to a national park. Oh, I don't want to think about that. I know. Especially if someone has that plan. They put these statistics out, and it really has a feel of. There's that tweet. My not involved in human trafficking shirt has people asking a lot of questions clearly answered by my shirt. It's like they're saying our our, you're not likely to die at a national park uh, statistics have people asking a lot of questions clearly answered by the statistics. I don't know. Why are you putting this out? Well, maybe they have to or it just feels like a real downer. Yeah. (laughs) Very much so because a lot of people are going to national parks because well, where else are we going? Yeah, right. <laughs> it seemed like the safer bet, especially when 
COVID stuff was more, and then, you know, you're still outside. Right. But national parks, man, are, they're tough to get through this summer. Yes. Everybody's there, but now I don't want to think about Especially this. Especially a lot of the ones in the Western U.S. are very, very crowded, or at least they have been. And now, on top of that, you add in, you have to think about, wait, I could die if I go here. <laughs> Which that's is, awful. Even though that it is. I mean, is, technically, that's everywhere you go. Yeah, but. you could always die, but everywhere isn't always putting out statistics about how likely you are to die. Well, great. Let's hear the yeah, many, many ways we can be in trouble. It, there, Of course, it's actually very safe. Like, it's you're very unlikely to die. They said that, uh, according to data, for uh, 2007 to 2018, they found that there was 2,727 deaths. Mm-hmm. That's So over 11 years, you had uh, almost not quite 3,000 deaths. They say that equates to about eight deaths per 10 million visits. So you have an eight in 10 million chance of dying, according to... The data that they're putting out. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah. They say some is, you know, really unintentional causes, drowning, uh, car crashes within the national park yeah. area. Uh, but, gee, some for, like, extreme heat in some areas, weather events. Um, I Everything else <laughs> is so sad. Yeah. Well, they put... So it's if you're eight. engaging, like, in physical activity, so maybe, like, say you have a heart attack or yeah. something, if you're hiking, biking, or swimming, uh, they say that uh, 79% yeah. of the deaths occurred among right. males. So we're going to have to not do that. So, yeah, we're that's gonna good. We're going to have to not, <laughs> not go hiking, biking, or swimming. We're not going to do any physical activity if we do go to a national park. And then, so they put this out, too. We heard that it's eight deaths per 10 million visits. Yeah. But then when you hear a statistic like this, between 2014 and 2016... There was a total of 990 deaths, which averages to six deaths per week. And that makes it sound like a lot more. Like almost every day, somebody is dying from a, at a national park, and that makes it sound scary. Wait, guys, let me work on my vacation plans yeah. while we're doing this. They say that, uh, you know, in Washington, the North Cascades National Park was mm-hmm. the most dangerous. Yep. Uh, Lake Mead National Area, most deaths among that period when they were doing the study. Um, anything else? Grand Canyon as the park with the most deaths at Yosemite Second. Great Smoky Mountains in third. All right. I the think most common ones were falls, medical or natural things, undetermined, unexplained, and that's awful. So a lot of them. <laughs> I said, I'm not reading anymore. A lot of this uh, feels like it's just it's just you happen to be at the park. Oh, sure. Uh, when you die. But either way, I don't hear people, you don't hear stories about how often people die at Disney World. Because it's so rare, hopefully. because they cover that up. Yep. <laughs> They're not telling you. If you die at there. Disney World, no oh, one will no, know. Oh, man, you don't want to know about that. Those, those deaths are definitely unexplained. I and bet un- you, though, that Disney's numbers are just as high. You think so? They're just About a person it. per week dying at Disney World? You have to sign something if something happens, like yep. if you're family, and I bet you can't talk about it. Hudson, Nikki, The Riot, on Radio U. Now, here's a study that maybe this will be encouraging for some people. Uh, It's from the University of Victoria in Canada, and they found that about two-thirds of romantic couples start out as friends. Now, let's be clear about that. That means (laughs) two-thirds of people who uh, wind up dating are friends friends first, first, not two-thirds of people. I just want to be clear. It's not two-thirds of people that are friends start dating Dating. each other. Because that would be... (laughs) That's a, a lot different if you're if you're, you know, 
sitting there with unrequited love from Um, somebody who's in the friend zone. This says that sometimes we focus on the spark of romance between strangers. You're right. But that you might actually have a better chance. um, And instead, it could be the romance that's centered among your friends. Yeah. So you might be able to find the forever someone within your friend group. You've been looking around uh, in all the wrong places when it turns out. The the love of your life was right in front of you all along. Well, I think sometimes people are afraid you'll ruin a friendship. Yes. Like it, it's not one of the right ones. Uh-huh. And so instead you have to look for a stranger to be the special someone. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it's worth the risk and it could be just in your friend group that you need to find that person first. Yeah. And it's always, I find that uh, just anecdotal evidence that so many of the people that I know that do wind up uh, getting married and seeming to last for a really long time is... They do. They are people that knew each other before where they didn't just meet on Tinder or, you know, whatever the random dating app might be or 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 just out somewhere. They're people that were friends first. They knew each other for a long time. Yeah. And then they wound up uh, dating, which when you first find out they're dating after they've known each other for so long, I always feel that that's a weird thing. It's like, like, wait uh a minute. (laughs) Why did all it's just always weird. The time It's like, why now? But either way, it, it usually winds up working out. And I think. A big part of that is when you uh, when you know somebody for a long time and you're friends with them, you know a lot about them and some of maybe their like quirks, quirks or <laughs> or maybe more negative personality traits that you can realize you can put up with and you still like them. Whereas when you just meet somebody and you just go right into dating, it's fun at first, but a lot of times then you're in the midst of dating is when yeah. you're finding out about these things and that can really cause a lot well, of uh, it tumult. Can, it can wear off and then you break up. Right. <laughs> so they're saying that for friends, so in case you want this information so you know who to look for. Yeah. <laughs> if you have so many well, friends. Well, wait, I have a few friends. Which one which should ones? I start dating? So they say that you should probably have known them for maybe one to two years before a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the participants in this study said they didn't enter the friendship in the beginning with uh, romantic intentions Uh or even necessarily being attracted to them. Sure. Uh, So they say that the average length of the pre-romance friendship means it's likely that the couples were genuine at that point. Uh, platonic friends before transitioning into more of a boyfriend-girlfriend. Yeah, so there you go. If uh, If you're out there in the dating world, sometimes it's better to look to look closer than far away. You can see, sometimes you can't see the forest from the trees, uh-huh. is the old saying. Well, Hudson, though, this is an awful study when it's like, well, wait, but I don't have many friends. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you oh, don't yeah. even have a special someone. You're uh, like, I don't have friends first. Uh, why'd you have to give it a, such a negative turn? Well, I just negative want be, Nikki. Oh, I want to be realistic for everybody in case you're like, but I don't have any friends All to right. do this. So, so here's what you do. We need to find a study about making friends. Go out, make some friends. <laughs> And Give it a year uh, or two. But they said in the study, they said that they people didn't get into the friendships expecting a romantic relationship. So they're already it's just uh, it's a self fulfilling parody or a paradox kind of thing right there. So we can't guarantee this is going to work out for everybody, right. but at least for if you have a couple of friends, it's it n- might. It's not something you might be able to engineer in your mm-hmm. life, but it's something that <laughs> might just be right in front of you all along. I know, as, every time as I see so these, many romantic movies will tell us. I see these stories are like they really assume we have a lot of friends, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's everybody. Well, fortunately for us, we're both married, so I we don't know, even have to fine. worry anymore. We don't need friends. <laughs> I didn't have them. <laughs> the Riot with Hudson and Nikki on Radio U. A bear hunt is on in the state of Minnesota, Nikki. 
But this one is uh, this is a special one. It is the and what makes it so special? I, like, I don't think a bear hunt is special, but I'd is. love to hear why. It is a a unique bear hunt because this bear is a gun-toting bear. Oh, finally he's fighting back. He is. Yep, <laughs> he's, he's had back. enough. He's he's been uh, the hunted this whole time, and not uh, anymore. It's totally a movie, isn't it? It does bear, feel like it. He steals a gun. This is like he's Jack Bauer. He steals the gun, and all of a sudden the authorities are tracking him. They don't know what he's doing, but it's a bear well, all about the, the woods in in Minnesota. What's the anime or what's the bear? The, the uh, picnic basket one. What's oh, Yogi, one? Yogi bear. Yeah. but like Yogi's mad. It's like Yogi <laughs> yes. and John Wick put together. Yes, <laughs> Yo, they've uh, they've done something to Boo Boo, and so Yogi's out for revenge. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's so bad because it works. Yep, it totally it he, uh, works. So he steals a picnic basket that has, and he knows it has a gun in it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and boom, all of a sudden, he's on the loose. And uh, those those bumbling park rangers can't seem to track him down, and well, he's te- taking them out one by one. It looks like technically, like the bear has a backpack, and the backpack has the gun. Yes. So he took um, someone's backpack with a handgun and some snacks inside. Yeah. Dude, why has he got a handgun and snacks? <laughs> and he ran off into the woods. So they're trying to find him. Yes. Uh, I guess the good news is they say that the the authorities say they found the backpack. Oh, they it did? was shredded up. The gun was still with it. Oh, but the so the gun is yeah, so <laughs> the bear took what was really important. That's the food. But he's so the bear is still on the loose though. Fortunately, he doesn't have a handgun at the moment that we know of. Oh yeah. But maybe he... this is a repeat thing for him and maybe he's got a stash of handguns. Man, that would be an awful if the bear shot himself accidentally. Yeah. It's like, wait, that's not food. Yeah, that would he's Aww. uh he just thinks he's going in for some Cheetos and all of a sudden things take a turn for the worse. So hopefully well, fortunately that didn't seem to happen. They say the bear stealing the handgun in the bag uh, was a first for the park agency and the forest service. Yeah. They've not seen that or had that call come in before, but no one was hurt. Yeah. But except the snacks. That would be, it would sure be something. Like, it's one thing if you saw a bear mm. out in the woods. What if and you saw a, a bear and he's carrying a he's gun? He's got a gun. <laughs> what do you do? They don't have a handbook for that. You don't you know play how to dead. You are. You're yeah. all, at this point, you're, you're going to be dead. dead. If, whether it's the bear or the gun, either way, you're dying. Like they say, like, what are the odds that you run into a bear? Uh-huh. The odds that the bear would try to attack you. Yeah. But then then you also are like, what are the odds that you're shot at? What are the odds that the bear, the bear either knows how to use the gun uh-huh. and is ready to use it on you or doesn't know how to use the gun, but accidentally sets it off on you. It's just a whole bad situation. Maybe if it's on the ground, like the forest floor, it'd only be your foot that got shot. So maybe, maybe that would like, be not as bad. If you could like pop it out of his hand. Like, is that what you, is that the move there? If you see a bear in the, with a gun, do you just, you go for, I'll at least try to get the gun out. Honestly, or, if I find a bear with a gun, I'm going on Facebook or Instagram live because that's, that's amazing. And you're going to live stream your death. Not that, that, but me getting away. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I want to show everybody that I'm not lying. Yeah. That the oh, yeah. You'd have to, you'd, I guess you would have to take a picture before you do anything. It's just, <laughs> it's a total different, because if you see somebody with a gun in real life, you're just like, you're going to be calm and you're going to put your hands up and whatever. But if it's a bear, I don't know if you, if you do the same thing because you just don't know what, what the bear is capable of with that gun. That's so running level. away might be the best option. But then again, bears are so fast. It might chase you down. Yeah, but he just ate. So maybe he yeah. is slow. He won't want to kill you. Yeah, well, the I gun, guess so. but. <laughs> <laughs> 
You just heard the worst of the worst. We'd give you the best of the best, but we'd have to find that. As soon as we do, you'll be the first to know. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This podcast is brought to you by Connect Safely and My Digital Tattoo. We are a Silicon Valley nonprofit helping young people and adults that care about them build healthy habits, critical thinking, and ethical online behavior. Learn more about us at mydigitaltattoo.org. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Media in the Middle. I'm Sophie, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're going to be talking about productivity pressure and social media. We'll explore how it shows up on our feeds and how it makes us feel. The push for productivity has gotten even more intense since the onset of the pandemic as young people worried about how they were making the most of their newfound time at home. I'm excited to see, I'm excited to hear how the reality of pandemic life differed for each of the panelists and to learn what they took away from being immersed in this hustle culture. Um, does everyone want to introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Jules. Hi, I'm Andrew. And hi, I'm Sophie J. Our first question is, how would you describe productivity pressure during the pandemic? Um, well, I think uh, for me, like when I think of uh, productivity pressure, like what kind of comes to mind is kind of like the, this mass circulation of uh, whether it be like posts or um, routines or like just like um, like the promotion of certain people who, um, you know, like took advantage of the time they had during uh quarantine or, or shelter in place and um, really took on something new and kind of like uh, how that, you know, created the idea that everyone uh, needed to do that. Right. And it's like um, just kind of the idea that these people who were doing like really like exceptional things um, given the circumstances and how um, that kind of became um, what was expected. Um, and that was kind of like the pressure that uh, personally I felt and saw across social media. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of people's mindsets, especially in the Bay Area, are for, for me in particular, um, they're often obsessed with like always doing something or just like the idea of productivity. Um, and so like, I guess for the spaces that I've been a part of, especially in high school and in college now, um, I just also felt that hustle culture like everywhere. And so during the pandemic, I definitely felt the pressure to be like pursuing a project or extracurriculars, as well as keep up with school. And when the pandemic first hit, I think there's a lot of exceptions to make time for yourself. But at the same time, I feel like that also twisted to like, you have to learn a new hobby or start a project for yourself. Um, So I think overall, that kind of felt draining at times. Um, I agree with both Andrew and Marissa. I think they summed it up pretty well. But I would describe it as um, I would describe productivity pressure as like seeing the people around you do so many 
like excellent things in the little time that everybody has and then you feel pressured yourself to kind of catch up with them it's almost like peer pressure in a way I would say but like to do more things next question is how did productivity pressure show up on your social media during shelter in place I think one place uh, I saw like a lot of like kind of productivity pressure and just like posts related to productivity was like on TikTok. Um, And there's always been kind of like a section of TikTok where it's like people who are really into like organization um, and like making things look pretty. Um, And if any of you ever heard of like the app Notion, which is like, you know, you can organize schedules. Like there's like an entire like group of people on TikTok that like absolutely devote their lives to that app. Um, and like, I stumbled across it a couple of times, uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, but essentially it was just like people who posted on social media, like ways they put their life together, um, or like, you know, who did like, Oh, in a day in a life, you know, I got up at 6am and I was done with a workout by like, you know, 8am, um, which was very different, you know, to what I was experiencing. I was waking up at like 3pm every day, but um, you know, seeing all that stuff, I was like, oh man, maybe I should uh, really get going. Um, but, but since then it's kind of died down, but I have like very distinct memories of these like TikToks of people like, oh, this is my day in shelter in place or, uh, yeah, this is how I set up my notion. Um, so that was the main place I saw it. I'm mainly on Instagram and three specific things I found on Instagram relating to this is this detoxifying trend, which is essentially purifying your life from bad relationships, bad friendships, and bad habits. And then there's a glow up trend, which is having these diets and working out a lot to get your body and spirit and mind into your ideal body, spirit, and mind. And then lastly is the 5am routine like Andrew kind of said, I think 5am is like the golden hour of productivity pressure on social media. And at 5am, you wake up and then you have to have all these things done before 8am when you go to school. And I think that's something that's really, it's an unhealthy standard because not all of us have the same morning routine. But what social media has done is convinced us that we should all have the same morning routine, even though we all go to bed at different times. Some of us have practice in the morning early in the mornings. I don't have practice early in the morning. So when I would see these routines, I would wake up at 5am, but I had literally no reason to be awake. I think one of the biggest sources of productivity pressure for me was the fact that everyone seemed to be like starting a project and then making a social media account to promote it, um, especially on Instagram. Um, I know a lot of my like classmates started like online tutoring businesses or they like started nonprofit clubs or like just small businesses um, to help with COVID relief or um, I guess social justice issues in general. And sometimes I got the, the idea that people may have started an activity for the wrong reasons or, or just maybe they wanted to look good for like college apps, but at the same time they wanted to like use their time in a productive way. So I got really like mixed feelings from everyone. And then I guess before COVID, people were involved in different activities, um, but I guess they never had the like time or the chance to show it on social media. So it was definitely a change for me to see what so many people were involved in. And I think social media really gave the appearance that people were 
using their time at home to start like something new and I don't know that felt really overwhelming for me yeah I would agree with Marissa um like Marissa I mainly on Instagram and I would say for me it's just like in general just seeing all the different posts there about people starting new things and like a lot of my friends would also use their Instagrams to like promote organizations that they have like leadership positions in and then every time I saw them those posts I'd be like oh my gosh they're doing another one like how can one person do so many different things and then it did make me feel a lot more pressure to you know get up and do something more productive with my time because compared to them I felt like you know I wasn't really doing anything. I so agree with that Marissa when you said that I it just something popped in my mind like I totally resonate with what you were saying I saw I think like we've talked a lot about performative activism and how that was shown over the over the pandemic and I saw multiple people start organizations or something and make a whole Instagram account for it and I agree like that's totally something I have mixed feelings about I'm really happy when when it's to help people and you're doing something productive but I can also see people being not making the biggest difference, but making a really big deal of it. Um, so I think that I just really agree with that. I think I I see that. I see that still, too. I think that moving from, well, as we move out of COVID, it's, it's interesting to see people kind of abandon those projects. Um, and, and speaking of which, as we move out of COVID, how have you noticed a difference in productivity pressure or the culture around it since you've been back to school? Uh, I think that um, I kind of like expected to see a difference because um, I thought, you know, people would just be, you know, back to normal life and they wouldn't have as much free time. Um, but this year I'm a senior and so um, everyone's doing college applications and like kind of unfortunately, um, a lot of people seem to have like taken like the same attitude um, that they had like during the pandemic, like to their college applications and I can't like speak to whether that's like a a normal thing or not but you know like everyone's posting about how like oh you know like I'm applying to blah 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 or it's like I don't know I don't know if you guys experience this but it's like oh man I'm applying to 22 schools someone help me like you know pare my list down I'm like like shut up dude nobody cares um but like (laughs) I see that like a lot and kind of this like humble brag about like all the work people are doing um to apply to college and uh it it reminds me a lot of what I saw at the beginning of the pandemic. I agree I'm not a senior or in the middle of college applications but I definitely think that this expectation to be more productive has only grown with school which is crazy because we're way more busy during school with extracurriculars and clubs and academics and I think that's the thing about social media and things that are going viral that since These 5 a.m. morning routines, et cetera, are getting a lot of attention and interaction. That's what people are going to stick with, even if it seems unrealistic and even if sometimes it's not true. And as far as going back to school, I think going back to school was a lot more stressful for me in the beginning. I have a better outlook and attitude now, but in the beginning, I definitely... Going to school in person, again, made it a lot easier to compare yourself face-to-face with people, 
and for me that was physical appearance and body types and things like that um i would agree that um going back to school the productivity pressure is like um if not the same then even more um i feel like it's because for me personally at least when during the pandemic when i saw these posts online um i knew they were real but like because they're through a screen all these things seemed less real to me and now that i'm back in school and i'm actually interacting with all these different people who are actually doing all these different things and really seeing it for myself it seems a lot more real to me so it feels like there's even more productivity pressure Sophie J, I can relate to that a lot. Um, since going back to school, I definitely do feel, or I continue to feel a lot of pressure to be productive, and I think it heightened a bit. Um, but for me, that's probably a combination of starting college and the fact that a lot of in-person activities are starting up again, and I have to like interact with people like face-to-face, which is kind of strange to me. Um, now that there are a lot of activities or socials and things in person, um, I've realized that I can't do as many things that I'd imagine myself doing or that I wanted to do because I, I guess one of the factors is like commuting the places takes a lot of time, much more than I thought. Um, I guess on Zoom, I could have classes or like activities and stuff back to back. But now I realize I definitely need more space between things and um, more time for myself to just, like, rest a bit before doing something else. Um, So I guess it's kind of positive um, that I can, I now realize I need to try to slow myself down um, and take, uh, I guess, time to transition to a new environment. Marissa, I totally agree. I think I jumped back into school and everything really fast, and I've been in school for about a month, and for some reason, this weekend, it all caught up with me. And um, and even, like, this past week, and I think it's slowly been catching up with me, but I've been getting really tired and realizing, realizing that I'm kind of just overwhelmed um, and didn't really give myself time to, like, transition from summer to school. I kind of treated it like a normal school year, not recognizing that I hadn't been in normal school. And so I'm back and my classes are a lot harder than they have been um, for the past year. And just a full school day is a lot harder. And I actually, I've been taking a lot of naps. Like today, I think I took a four hour nap that I didn't mean to take. Um, and then I and then I got stressed because I woke up and I have an essay to write and test to study for. And while my homework load hasn't changed that much, having those things in person has really changed how I study for them and how I prepare for them and just how I think about my work in general. So having to make that big shift in my schoolwork was a, it was just a transition. And, and I like what you said about having to interact with people again. I think I've been really tired by social interaction and not giving myself time to recuperate like after school, after spending seven hours of the day talking to people and walking around and Um, being in class and realizing that I might not function the same way I did pre-pandemic and um, so we kind of talked about this a little bit but going back to um, 
pressure during pandemic? Did you personally feel pressure to be more productive or learn something new? And I might come turn that just into, I think that Jules talked a little bit about having a second chance. Do you think that there's things you could have done or things you wish you had done when you had time during the pandemic that now you don't quite have time for? For me, talking about that second chance, I personally spent a lot of the free time away from school and any other obligations uh, during the pandemic doing things influenced by productivity pressure. Like I randomly thought I needed to journal all of a sudden, which like journaling is great if you journal. It's just I had no reason to do it. And I had all these other expectations for myself. And so given the second chance of I or well, the pandemic's still going, but my mindset has changed now to during those first like six months to the year of the pandemic, I wished that I had spent more time with my family and my friends, um, anything that was safe to do during the pandemic, and that I did more quality things that actually interested me because there was a lot of pressure that I feel like I had this aha moment six months into the pandemic that this has been going on for a while and it's going seems like it's going to go on for a lot more. So I need to do something that's going to help me. I was applying for a, another high school then, so I wanted to do something that would help me get into that high school. I had essays to write, extracurriculars to get involved with and things like that. But I really wish that I took that time to do things that actually mattered to me, to spend time with my family and it really has been such a long time that I feel like I could have done a lot more quality things with my life. Um, I also did feel pressure to be more productive. Um, I think over the pandemic, I got more involved in like online communities related to like Asian activism because I just felt that the Asian hate crimes happening during COVID, I needed to just educate myself on issues that were happening to my own community. Um, but like the whole time I was just getting involved in these online communities, I was like worried that I was just doing performative activism because of, I'm not the most knowledgeable about a lot of current events and social justice issues. But I truly did want to become more informed about these important topics. I just felt like maybe my approach might have not been the most productive or it, it felt productive at the time. But like looking back, I'm not sure if that was the right approach. Um, to like get involved through online or social media stuff um, so anyways yeah I guess I felt pressure to like join more communities and get more informed about current events which I think is important anyways um of course I did like everybody else feel productivity pressure um just you know to do more things to make better use of the time but although I didn't um, really, I made use of my time by kind of learning or engaging more with my family. I've spoken about this multiple times, but during the pandemic, I kind of had like a realization that I just never, I always just assumed that I knew my family like on a deeper level. And then during the pandemic, I realized, wow, there's so much I don't know about the people who I live with who I've lived with my entire life. It was really shocking for me. Um, but for the pandemic, if I had like a second chance, um, I guess it would be more about like 
friendships, making better use of that time, trying to get to know some friends better. Um, yeah, mainly that. Um, I mean, like the rest of you guys, I definitely like felt the pressure. Um, but like ultimately, I don't, I don't think I ever like decided necessarily to, to learn something new just because of um, like the productivity pressure. Um, I think the main reason for that is like I saw all these people like um, doing new things and like um, starting, you know, like new organizations, clubs, um, whatever it may be. And like I realized like a lot of them were like really like surface level and like um, they weren't really invested in it. Um, like one of my friends started like a, a club or something and he like wanted to like help um, like support like frontline like healthcare workers and I'm like oh this is great and like I went to meetings I'm like they don't really want to do this like they just want like to be able to say that they started a club um and so I kind of like I don't know maybe I just like had a bad first impression but I was like you know this is kind of all overrated I'm like um no one is really like very few people are getting like truly great stuff um out of the things that they're starting so I kind of just um went along with my own life Um, and if I got, you know, if I went back and did it again, like a second chance, um, I think, uh, like Sophie J had said, um, you know, focusing on like, uh, connecting with my friends and my family, um, I would definitely do that as well. You're listening to Media in the Middle presented by Connect Safely and My Digital Tattoo, T-A-T in the number two, a nonprofit organization. For additional resources, find My Digital Tattoo on Facebook or our website, mydigitaltattoo.org. Now back to Media in the Middle. Opposite of that, is there anything that you feel the need to do now that everything's opened up that you couldn't before? And like moving into schools or anything? That um, Any opportunities that have opened up kind of post-pandemic-ish? you can do before that you feel kind of pressure to do now? Uh, I think that, um, at least in my personal experience, or like from what I can gather, I think that um, productivity posts had like kind of a really bad effect on mental health. Um, I think that's just because like, um, I think a lot of people have the idea that like being productive and, and valuing or valuing your mental health are like two mutually exclusive things. Um, like the idea is that you have to like work as hard as you can and like almost overwork yourself to be like as, as productive as possible. Um, when like really, you know, if you think about it, um, like, you know, being in a good mental state is probably the best thing you can do, um, to keep yourself productive. Um, and I think that the productivity posts like just contributed to kind of that like misconception that, um, you know, forget about your mental health and just go out and do as much as you can. Um, and I think that was kind of like a really dangerous and, uh, bad thing to, to have circulating during the pandemic. Um, and of course, like that's not every productivity post, but that was kind of the general vibe I, I got off them. Um, and so I think it it definitely had kind of a bad impact on uh, mental health. Um, for me, I definitely did feel constantly stressed. And when I wasn't feeling productive, then I would be stressed about not, being productive or and then when I was product being productive I guess I would be stressed about doing the actual productive thing um I guess it was like a whole cycle and during the pandemic 
and during quarantine, I definitely had to deal with my mental health issues and that stress, uh, which wasn't the healthiest for me, I guess. Um, but at the same time, like sometimes a post like motivated me to like get out of bed and actually do something with my day instead of like stay in bed um, all day and do nothing. Um, so it was like a tricky balance, I guess. Um, but I think for the most part, I think the stress just added a lot of pressure um, when everyone was stuck at home. I like how Marissa described it as a cycle because for me it was um, very similar, like being worrying about not doing enough and like feeling kind of the sense of inferiority, like you're not good enough if you don't do all these things. And then when I'm actually doing these things, I'm worried like, am I doing, am I doing it well enough and things like that. So yeah, I would say it was just, you know, it like made me very tired. It sapped out all my energy and it took the fun out of doing, even if the productive thing was supposed to be like, I enjoyed it. Um, all the worrying just really took the fun out of it for me. I agree. And like Marissa said, there are definitely pros and cons to these productivity posts, but I often felt really disappointed in myself because the way these posts are set up is that if you want to be healthy, there's only one way and that's to wake up at 5 a.m. Hold up. <clears throat> if you want to be healthy, there's only one way to do it and that's waking up at 5 a.m. Or if you want to have a good mental health and to take care of yourself, practice self-care, then you have to allot two hours of your life after school, which we all have homework and sports and extracurriculars, et cetera. So it's not always possible. So when I wasn't able to do those things, I felt really disappointed and like I was failing myself or I was less than a lot of people because I couldn't keep up with all of that. And then I also thought it was really ironic because a lot of my friends and even I, at some points, we faced burnout, even though we weren't going to in-person school. So school seemed a lot easier and we weren't having to keep up with a lot of relationships or or have the anxiety of social interactions, but we were still feeling burnout because we were overbooking ourselves and filling every minute of our life. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I used to like schedule like all 24 hours of my day. And then I remember one time in the beginning of the pandemic, my dad came to pick me up for a doctor's appointment that I forgot I had, and I did not schedule it into my 24-hour plan of the day. So it threw off the whole thing, and I felt like the whole day was wasted at that point. So I just gave up on everything else I had planned to do that day. And so I think because of this, there's a really thin line between being organized and being productive and then being influenced by these daily routines in a more negative way. I totally um, relate to this idea of burnout sorry, burnout because you're filling your day. Um, I and just and just filling all of your time. I feel like something I tried to apply during the pandemic was just something I carried over from pre-pandemic, which is I think I I think I do a lot better when I'm busy and I'm happier when I'm really busy, especially if I'm busy doing things I enjoy. But what was hard about that during the pandemic is that suddenly I was really in charge of filling my own days and um, and like finding things to do that weren't 
like I couldn't do sports. I couldn't do a lot of clubs I do. I couldn't do a lot of the extracurriculars I do, um, except for maybe online meetings. But trying to fill my time and be really and stay really busy became really tiring and overwhelming. And that's what brought me a lot of stress. And I think that that it's it was interesting to think about how that changed over time during the pandemic. I think initially I took all that free time as kind of a break from my really busy schedule that just had a really abrupt stop when we went into lockdown. And then I slowly got more and more antsy and ready to get back into that busy schedule. And so I think that's kind of also why, um, like Marissa was talking about earlier, coming back to normal life is really tiring because I had to really change the way my day functions and the way I fill my time and the energy I give things because I I just had to and, and, and things changed. And then coming back, I had to redistribute that energy again. How do you push back at unrealistic expectations of social media and what strategies can you pass on? Um, I think like, um, like one of like the silver linings of the pandemic was that um, it really gave at least me uh, a chance to like step back from things and, and really put things into context. And um, so like when I saw a lot of like the productivity pressure, like I kind of just like stepped away from social media for a while um, and, and wasn't really affected by it. Um, like there was a while where I just like was not on social media for like a couple of weeks or almost like a month. And, uh, it was nice cause I kind of just got to focus on myself and, you know, now that I think about it, um, you know, that's probably something that I, I couldn't do now. I'm like seeing people every day, um, and talking to them. Um, and so I guess try and answer your question. I, I can't really think of a way to like push back. Um, I guess it's kind of like stepping away would be pushing back. Um, but it's also just kind of like avoiding it. Um, and I guess like the, the strategy, um, the biggest strategy that I could pass on is just, um, to, you know, remember that, uh, everyone's in a different uh, situation. Um, everyone, you know, lives their life, life in like a different context. Um, and what you see on social media is a very, very small portion of that. Um, and just remembering that, just because someone on social media does it or can do it um, doesn't mean that you should ever feel obligated to do it or that you should ever uh, be able to do it. Yeah, going off of what Andrew just said, um, it's much easier said than done, of course. Um, but I guess I try to remind myself that social media is definitely a curate, curated um, version of a person's life. Um, and of course, everyone is dealing with struggles and stuff um, during the pandemic and I guess, as we're easing back into normal life or like in-person activity, um, everyone is going to struggle in their own way. And it it takes time for everyone to transition and get used to it. Um, but I guess for pushing back on unrealistic expectations, I try to remember what I enjoy personally. And I think I know my limits and I understand myself. So I guess I really have to listen to myself and what I actually enjoy. Yeah, to that point, I think a lot of us have been talking about productivity with this bad connotation, but it is important to know that productivity is also really important and so is participating in clubs and extracurriculars that actually mean something to us. And so to your point, Marissa, I 
the way I pushed back, and this works for me, it's not going to work for everyone, but I did continue to make things like morning routines, but I would, I know myself and I know that I would be disappointed in myself if things didn't go exactly according to plan. So I didn't make promises where I had to wake up at 6am or 5am. And I would just make the morning routine as soon as I woke up whenever that time after I got a healthy amount of sleep was. And I and my morning routines depended on the day. They weren't so general and standard where I did the same thing every morning because sometimes I don't have time to work out in the morning or sometimes I really can't cook myself a five-star meal for a breakfast in the morning when I have class at 8 a.m. So I really just had to adapt every day and all the obligations that I had for that day. And I think that that's what really helped me to sort of stand up to these expectations that have become more than just expectations on social media, but really more of a societal norm. Yeah. Um, like Andrew said, I think like the simplest way or that like everybody says tells you to do, but a lot of people have trouble doing it is just taking breaks. Or like for me though, like taking breaks means like leaving like the city for a day. Like mine is an extreme version of taking breaks. Like I like to literally like go like drive an hour to the beach and like just stay there for the entire day um but just even like going out to the backyard I think also really helps me and as for like pushing back against social media I would say um during the pandemic I lost like a lot of motivation to keep up with stuff that I enjoyed but now I'm like rekindling my passion for those things like playing piano and it's not for like college apps or at clubs it's just simply because I love playing piano even though I suck at it so you know just like trying to play different songs it just really makes me happy I think all of those are really good tips I think generally I just kind of try to keep negative things out of my social media and sometimes sometimes that's impossible like there aren't filters you can put on everything and so I'll do what Sophie and Andrew were talking about just kind of put down my phone and take a break or get off of a certain app but I also try to really surround myself with positive things and follow influencers that I think are interesting or that reflect some of my interests or like parts of my identity um and sometimes I think that that can help to redefine expectations and beauty standards or standards of just being a person a good person and I think that there are places online to find realistic expectations and images of people places that you can kind of see yourself um okay that's the end of this episode thank you all so much this was really interesting and this is media in the middle check it out Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store.
live from a basement in Dubuque, Iowa. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. 30 minutes from the Field of Dreams and four hours from the closest professional sports team. It's not a lie if you believe it. On the banks of the Mississippi River. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I mean, you? It's the Degenerate Sports Betting Show with Matthew Friedman. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. And now your host, Matthew Friedman. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Welcome to the Degenerate Sports Betting Show brought to you by Bets TV and sponsored by the FTN Network, where you can get all the season-long and daily fantasy and sports betting content that your degenerate heart desires, including my fantasy football write-ups and all the NFL sides, totals, and player props that I am betting. Use the highly original promo code FREEDMAN for 20% off at FTN. That is FREEDMAN for 20% off at FTN. Thank you for checking out the show. Please subscribe to the Best TV channel on YouTube and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. All right, it is Tuesday. We are moving out of week five and into week six. So for this episode, we are going to take a look at my power rankings, which I definitely did not create just before this episode while spending time on an hour-long business call. That is definitely not what happened. Also, uh, we're going to look back at Monday Night Football. But first, I need to tell you about a great giveaway we have at FTN where you can win a free trip to Las Vegas for the Week 13 Raiders-Washington football team game. And there are two franchises who really have it going on, totally put together, nothing dysfunctional at all with those organizations. The Raiders-Washington football team game, what a game that will be. It's free to sign up, no purchase necessary. There are other prizes as well, but the grand prize, $5,000 in value, includes airfare, hotel, tickets to the game, and more. Click the link in the show description for more details and to sign up. All right, producer Tom, Thomas Viola, sidekick on the controls, connoisseur of pasta, titan of tomato sauce, and long-suffering Jets fan. Tom, first of all, I want to know, can you still not hear the noise upstairs? Because if you can't, that's fantastic. We we are all good on my end, at least. I, I hope our listeners are feeling the same, but I don't hear anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Amazing touchdown. All right, Tom, let's get started by looking back at Monday Night Football. All right, Matt, I'm also hearing now that we're adding a booby prize to the contest, where in addition to the free flight out to Vegas, uh, another unlucky contestant will get to stay on my couch for the weekend and also has to coach the Raiders in that game. <laughs> that sounds that sounds horrible. And Tom, you should not have used the word booby in, in this context. Horrible, horrible choice of words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's on me. <laughs> All right. Let's progress. <laughs> Monday Night Football. All right. Monday Night Football. Ravens-Colts turned out to be a game. 31-25. Ravens win it in overtime. Colts cover the sevens and six and a half. Sixes get a refund. If you got it at lower than that, tough scene. Uh, sales over the total, though. Colts fall to one and four, but they're three and two against the spread. The Ravens, they move to four and one, two and three against the spread. And Lamar Jackson have a day uh 37 of 43 passing the football 442 yards four touchdowns and he tacked on an extra 62 rushing yards on 14 carries not bad for a running back Matt (laughs) yeah yeah it's I mean it's amazing he is the greatest running quarterback in NFL history and he's at this point having his best passing season so far He's just getting better as a passer, which you absolutely love to see. Mark Andrews, a great performance from him uh, as the number one option in that offense. And then Marquise Brown, 
one of the best games of his career. Fantastic performance from him. And then on the other side, Carson Wentz. I, I don't know what to do. I, I mean, maybe this guy should injure his ankles every other week because he just had a career high 402 yards passing. And granted, the Baltimore Ravens aren't what they used to be on defense, but they're not horrible. And Carson Wentz made them look horrible. And he did it with receiving options that I don't think are really all that great uh, for most of this game. And granted, I'll just say I went to bed early so that I could wake up and do some work. But also this game didn't really feel all that entertaining, right? I was going to sleep and the Colts, I was looking at my phone, last look at the phone, Colts were ahead by a touchdown. They had just given Jonathan Taylor his 13th carry. So we got the over on the carry prop. Now I was thinking, all right, this this game's pretty much over. Uh, <laughs> wake up and the Ravens win in overtime. Uh, you know, I think the Colts, just to, as a sign of how evenly matched this game was, the Colts had 513 yards total. The Ravens had 523. There are literally just 10 yards of offense separating these two teams. Um, the Colts had 29 first downs. The Ravens had 30. Like this was an incredibly evenly matched game. I don't know if I'm taking anything away from this other than the fact that the Ravens seem to have a knack for continuing to win close games. And the Colts are probably better than I like begrudgingly. They're better than I think they am than I think they are. And they are probably um, better at covering. Like I probably need to give them a couple of extra points whenever I'm thinking about them. Part of it is just, I have a, I have a bias. I'll just admit it. I have a bias against Carson Wentz. I think he's incredibly overrated. And last night with his 402 yards, he made me eat it. So happy. I didn't bet on this game. Um, I thought about betting the under, if I were to bet on this game, that's how I would have bet. Obviously would have lost that money. Uh, happy to get the cover on Jonathan Taylor with the 12 and a half over, uh, carries, but, uh, this game turned into a good night of Monday night football. Unfortunately, I missed it. And fortunately, I really still don't even care because it's not as if I want to watch Carson Wentz throwing all over the yard. <laughs> I, I want to see some correlation between first half unders and second half overs because I'm curious if there's anything there. I had the thought at halftime of I wonder if we're going to see an offensive explosion in the second half and Sure enough, we did. Shout out, by the way, to Jonathan Taylor. 15 carries for 52 yards and a touchdown, but three receptions for another 113 and a score as yeah. well. He had a night. Yeah, he got it done. He He's a very good player uh, who sadly is in an offense that I don't think is really maximizing what he can offer, especially because they insist upon giving Marlon Mack too many carries because they're trying to trade him. It's just ridiculous. All right, it is time. Let's take a look at some power rankings on this Tuesday afternoon for you. Still morning for me over here, Matt. Uh, we're going to go through your top 10. We're going to look at that whole mass of teams in the middle, and we're going to look at some of the worst teams in the league. Do you want to start at the top or the bottom? Oh, let's let's start at – well, I don't know. Do, do you have a preference here? Dealer's choice. Hmm. I think we should start at the bottom and work our way up to number one. Okay. And I want to give a shout out, by the way, quick shout out to uh, our guy at FTN, Benny Ricciardi, who does a piece 
every Tuesday where he updates his power rankings. And that's kind of where I got the uh, inspiration for this, uh, looking at his power rankings and thinking like, okay, I, I like that. Maybe I would have this team bumped up ahead. And I thought, all right, you know what? Let's just do an episode on that. So shout out to Benny. And uh, I agree with Benny, uh, I believe, uh, in the team that we have ranked number 32. And that's, that's the Jags. If I had to bet before this past weekend, uh, before the John Gruden emails broke on who would be the first uh, NFL head coach to part ways with his position this year, it would have been Urban Meyer. Um, amazingly, Urban Meyer still has a job. He's going to London. But I think that the entire team, uh, I mean, it has potential. The, the roster has potential. Uh, especially on the offensive side of, of the ball, but really the way they're running it, it's it's hot garbage. I think they're lucky to be one and four against the spread. Lucky to be one and four. Uh, I, I cannot wait to see how the rest of the season unfolds with the Urban Meyer saga. It's like watching the Jersey Shore. It's a train wreck you can't look away from. Yes, I think that's highly accurate. Yeah. All right. Next up on your list, uh, I'm sure I'm sure you don't have any team that any one of us would care particularly about on the spot. I don't know why anyone should care about this team. Number 31, I have the Jets. Sorry, Tom. Uh, one and four against the spread. Number 32 in offensive EPA per play. And, you know, as we know, this is an offense-driven league. Offense is more predictable. The fact that the Jets are the worst team in the league on offense, uh, that means they pretty much have to be locked into the bottom three, even though their defenses look pretty good. Uh, I mean, definite hats it to the defense. Uh they're fighting each game that offense is just struggling eventually uh you know i think zach wilson will mature into a good passer but right now that offense is pretty bad and that is firmly placing them in the bottom three all right next up i mean it's fair we if it wasn't for one dysfunctional team we would be right at the bottom that sounds about right for how the season's gone next up though a little surprised after the performance that we had from Nick Foles yesterday, the Texans in the next spot, next one on your spot. Nick Foles. That was good. That was good. That tell me that's not an original, is it? Or no, did you make that one up? That, yeah, that's yeah. sadly not an original. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have Texans number 30. They're number 28 in offensive EPA per play. Number 23 in defensive EPA per play. Um, it seems like they are trying to lose. Uh, I wouldn't say every game, but, you know, because they did play well. They did play well against the Patriots, but a little bit of like the Costanza, you know, like maybe it's just at the very end, not doing exactly what they could to win the game. Um, I think that they're probably still going to be a bottom three team at the end of the year, despite what we saw in week five. I would be happy, especially with, um, with Terod Taylor out. I would be happy to continue to bet against the Texans pretty much any opportunity I get, um, except, except whenever they're playing the Jags. So Texans, I do think they pretty firmly belong in the bottom three. All right, next up, we'll start moving into a little bit of this large mass of teams we have in the middle, but I fully agree with you having the Lions above these guys, despite having the worst record in the NFL. Yeah, so at number 24, I have, so 24 through 29, Falcons, football team, Bears, Dolphins, Giants, Lions. Lions 0-5 overall, but 3-2 and against this spread. You know, like that is the hallmark of a team that, 
I mean, every team wants to be better than it is, but like they're actually trying like each week they are going out there believing that they can win regardless of whoever it is that they are playing. And they're massively overachieving relative to the talent that they have. Um, and so I think that does put them above the other three teams, uh, Texans, Jets, Jaguars. But um, in terms of the overall talent of the roster, I think they do belong in that tier. It's just the effort that they're giving um, that puts them, for me, outside of the bottom three. Now, in that 17 through 23 tier, that kind of next mass, I suppose if 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 we were ranking the tiers, the bottom three would be trash. Mm-hmm. Then you've got bad teams. Now we're getting into those mediocre-ish teams. Yeah, these these are the teams on the downside of mediocrity, but still you can you can call them mediocre. So I have the Colts, the Steelers, the Vikings, the Bengals, the Raiders, the Titans, and the Eagles. Now I feel very conflicted about the Eagles. Like part of me wants to have them in the tier above this tier, although I have them ranked at the very bottom of this tier. I think they're the most exciting team in this tier. They're number nine in yards per play, number four in yards allowed per play. You put those two numbers together, and this feels like a team that should actually be competing. They're just not. Part of it is because of the scheme that they're running. They're very poorly coached, and part of that trickles down into the decisions that they make in key situations. As a as a kind of sign of this, the disparity between some of the on-field performance that you see and then the decision-making or the context surrounding that performance, right? They're number nine in yards per play, number 22 in EPA per play on offense. Like there's just this big discrepancy between how it is that they get their production and the context of that production. So the Eagles, I do like them. I think Jalen Hurts is a, a very exciting playmaking quarterback. And I think he's the reason on offense that they are in the top 10 in yards per play. But uh, given given the coaching staff, given the decisions that they make, the subpar method in which they approach the game, I can't have them ranked above this tier. Um, and the other teams, Colts, Steelers, Vikings, Bengals, Raiders, Titans, I think, I mean, t- despite the Gruden thing, I think in general, those teams, in terms of the the system that they have, I think they are a step above the Eagles, who I have at number 23. All right. Now the next tier up, if those were the mediocrely bad teams, these are the teams that are almost there, but not quite together. You've got that 11 through 16 spots. And at the 11, you're back in the Saints. Yeah. So the Saints, 49ers, Seahawks, Panthers, Broncos, Patriots. I think you can make an argument for some of these teams to be in the top 10 and then some of these teams to be outside of the top half of the league, like the Patriots, for instance, I think you could make a pretty compelling case about why they should be in the, the bad section of mediocrity. Like, are they really better than the Bengals? I I don't know. The Bengals certainly have the better offense, but what does intrigue me about the Patriots They're number 11 in defensive EPA per play. Like they do have a good defense. Mac Jones, he hasn't looked great, but he's been pretty functional for a rookie quarterback. He's stepped in and allowed the Patriots more or less 
to run the type of system they want to run. So I just see them as being a step above some of these other teams because of the the complementary style of football that they play. But, you know, we're only five weeks into the season. You could ask me in another two weeks and I might have them ranked number 24. So it's we're at this point where this is sort of a fragile tier where some of these teams, I could see like the Saints, the 49ers, if the Seahawks had Russell Wilson, how they would be in the top 10. I could see how if things go kind of poorly, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Patriots all fall out of this tier and they're in the bottom half of the league. All right, now let's move into your top 10, Matt. We're going to round up. We're going to go from 10 to 1 on all of these teams, starting with your 10 spot here. You've got the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are intriguing. I think the biggest thing holding them back is Baker Mayfield. They're number eight in yards per play on offense, 6.3. Number six in yards per play allowed on defense at 5.1. They are a rather complete all-around team. And I do think they have a pretty sharp head coach in Kevin Stefanski. Um, I mean, the biggest thing separating them, if you look at the quarterbacks of all of the teams above them, all of those guys have a case for being elite or ascending or very, very good. And that's just not the case with Baker Mayfield, uh, who, who I think has potential. He has promise, but He's been inconsistent, and then now he's dealing with a shoulder injury. It's his non-throwing shoulder. Still, I think it's impacting the way that he can play. And even when healthy, Mayfield just doesn't belong in the tier of all of the quarterbacks above him. So the Browns, as good as they are as a team, this is a league that is predicated on quarterback play by and large. And within the top 10, the Browns clearly at least in my mind, clearly have the weakest quarterback. Meanwhile, at number nine, kind of the opposite situation. One of the strongest quarterbacks, I'd say Dak Prescott's playing out of his mind for Dallas. It's the defense holding him back from a higher spot on your list than nine. Yeah, I really, I mean, I, I Tom, you know, you know how painful it is for me with the Cowboys this year. By the way, I, I'm finally betting on them this week, so naturally this is the week uh, that they're going to lose against the spread but yes i do have the cowboys at number nine they're five and oh against the spread number five in epa per play allowed uh per play on offense and then number six in defensive epa per play now i think it is worth calling attention to kind of the differences between epa per play and yards per play right epa per play would take context into account. And so uh, a team that creates a lot of turnovers is going to have, I would say, maybe a, an artificially high EPA per play. And that's why we see the Cowboys number six in defensive EPA per play. That number looks very good. And I mean, all things being equal, you would rather have a team that has a high defensive EPA per play than a low defensive EPA per play. But I do think the Cowboys have an artificially high defensive ranking according to EPA per play because they are still one of the bottom teams in the league in yards per play allowed. Number 29 with 6.3 yards per play allowed. You look at the teams that are around them. The Chiefs are number 32. Lions are number 31. The Jags are number 30. You have 
the Titans at number 27. It's just, it's not a good, it's not a good list. Um, but that said, the Cowboys are creating turnovers. And I know that turnovers are not really sticky. I do not think of the Cowboys as having this sort of ball hawking, opportunistic defense. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they actually do have that type of defense that will allow some big plays. And that's why you have a high yardage per play mark. But they take chances and that creates turnovers and that creates more opportunities for their offense. So the Cowboys, I think they're obviously we know they're fantastic on offense. They've outperformed the betting market expectations to this point in the year. I'm still a little bit hesitant about this defense. I am willing to entertain the idea that I'm just uh, obstinately viewing this defense as a unit that uh, that is overperforming. Maybe this is just who they are. I mean, I I feel like you can't say that when it is just the fact that my, my favorite stat in the league right now, Brendan Ayuk has seven receptions this season. Trayvon Diggs has six. Like th- this team is living and dying off of the turnovers. There's no way they can sustain that success. But then again, in baseball right now, people are saying the same thing about the San Francisco Giants, and they just don't stop winning either. So. Yeah. I don't know. Regression is supposed to happen eventually. Maybe next season they have zero turnovers. At number eight, you've got the Ravens after that impressive showing from Lamar last night. Yeah, they just seem to win, right? They're they're four and one uh, overall. Number two in yards per play with six point six. I mean, they they are very impressive on offense, despite having offensive line issues, despite not having their first round rookie wide receiver despite not having their you know top three running backs entering the year, despite not being able to uh, run the ball the way that they have in previous seasons. Like they are, they are just mediocre running the ball right now, whereas they have relied on the running game very heavily in previous years and run the ball very well. So the fact that they have transitioned so quickly out of necessity away from the running game towards the passing game and still maintained an incredibly high level of efficiency. That speaks volumes as to what the coaching staff is doing and to the maturation of Lamar Jackson as a passer. However, they are number 28 in yards per play allowed at 6.3. They have major issues on defense. But again, they just they seem to know how to win. And as long as Lamar Jackson is carrying them on offense, I think they have to be ranked in the top 10. At number seven, you've got the Green Bay Packers sitting at four and one right now and riding a four-game win streak. That Saints game was very clearly a fluke. They're looking good again. Yeah, if you if you include week one into the overall sample, the Packers have a very middle-of-the-road type of offensive number. If you take that out, and again, like week one feels like ancient history at this point, right? Uh, if you take that out, they jump up to number three in offensive EPA per play since week two. And I think that is representative of who they are. Over the past four weeks, even with, I'd say, a, rel- a relatively limited offense where like you have your main players. You have Aaron Rodgers, you have Devontae Adams, you have Aaron Jones, and then you have almost nothing else. So within a very limited range of what they are doing on offense, 
they are operating at a very high level. And you see that in their their sports betting outperformance. They're four and one against the spread, four and oh over these past four weeks. Their defense has issues, especially now with number one cornerback Jair Alexander on injured reserve. They do have holes, which is why they're you know number seven instead of number four. But uh, with Aaron Rodgers playing at this level, with Devontae Adams looking like the best wide receiver in the league, the chemistry they have, uh, you know, a, a coach, uh, a play calling head coach who I think is one of the sharper minds in the game. Uh, yeah, I think ranking them number seven is warranted. So what you're saying is that much like cheese, they have some holes, but are still pretty good. Yes. Yes. That Had was to get that in there. Yeah, All right. Was, at number six. Worthwhile. That was very worthwhile. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. This is the analysis I'm here to bring on the DSBS. All right. At number six, you've got the Chargers also at four and one, also four and one against the spread. And oh boy, Justin Herbert could be in the MVP conversation. Yeah, I think he is in the MVP conversation. Uh, They're number six in offensive EPA per play. I mean, I've been impressed with what they've been able to do. And their defense, uh, you know, I mean, they got run over, just absolutely run over by the Browns this past week. But if you are going to be weak, it is so much better just to scheme weakness into your run defense so you can be stronger in pass defense, especially when you know that you do have an offense that can compensate for it. Now, one thing that is a little disconcerting, as as sharp as I would say that Brandon Staley is as a head coach, offensively, they are still doing some things that are kind of annoying to where Justin Herbert has to be put into third and long situations. And it's as if they're making it harder on themselves to unleash the full potential of their offense. You know, we saw whenever they had to go off script in the fourth quarter this past week, it's like the offense was unlocked and they were just able to drive down the field at will. Just, just do that. I know it's not quite as simple as like, Hey, just do that from the beginning of the game. But like, think about the ways in which you make life easier for yourself at the end of the game. Just start to do a little more of that early in the game. But even if they don't get to that point, or even if they don't get there as quickly as I want them to, I mean, they are in charge of the AFC West right now. Justin Herbert, I think he's a very good bet to win MVP because he has like the novelty factor. Like Brady obviously is playing great. He's got a good narrative, but I mean, you could say the same for Kyler Murray, but Herbert in my mind is right up there with those guys as an MVP candidate. Um, a very well-rounded team all the way around, despite the defensive weakness they have in the run game. And speaking of one of those other MVP candidates, at number five, you've got the team with the best record in the league. The last undefeated squad, the Arizona Cardinals. Are the Birds real, Matt? I mean, yeah, I think they are. They're four and one against the spread, outperforming, uh, you know, betting expectations. They're top four in offensive and defensive EPA per play. Like, that's a hard combo to, to have. The Cardinals defense, like, I still look at the cornerbacks that they have out there, and I think, like, okay, you're not real, you're not real, and you're not real. But they're able <laughs> they're able to scheme with those guys. 
and they're able to get pressure from the defensive line to compensate for the weakness that they have in the secondary. And then, of course, on offense, we know how good they are. It's not from the scheme. It's not coming from Cliff Kingsbury. It's just from the talent of the players that they have. I mean, they're the top team in what I would say is the hardest division in football in the NFC West. They have to be at least in the top five. That said, I think I think a little bit of defensive weakness and a little bit of weakness in the coaching staff is what keeps, at least for me, this team from being in the top four. And at that number four spot, you've got the team that the Chargers have already taken care of, the Kansas City Chiefs, who are currently in the bottom of the AFC West. Oh, man. Like, I, I've seen some rankings that have really moved the Chiefs down the board. Uh, I think that is still hard to do. Even though they have had ridiculous turnover performance on offense, just literally handing games away. They're still number one in offensive EPA per play. They still have probably the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes. And I do want to say, although the defensive numbers look horrible, they are last in the league in yards allowed per play. This defense might be better than we expect. Like I'm I'm going to entertain that possibility. They had a really tough matchup in week one versus the top run offense in the league with the Browns. And then they had tough quarterback matchups in weeks two through four. Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen. If you had to name the top fantasy quarterbacks in the league, setting aside Patrick Mahomes, those four guys I just mentioned would probably all be in the top six. So going against a really good run offense and then a murderer's row of opposing playmaking quarterbacks. I just have to think that maybe this defense will one just improve from this point out, but like that it's actually better than the numbers that we have seen just plastered all over it. So I still have the chiefs at number four. Offense means a lot. Defense doesn't mean as much. And again, that defense might be a little bit better than we think. Also worth pointing out, Chris Jones has been absent. Yes. When he comes back, he can be a big difference maker for that defense. Yeah. All right. And number three, you've got the Rams in another case of a team being higher on the list than the team that has beaten them so far. But, I mean, Sean McVay and that offense still do look good. Yeah. I mean, it's... I really thought about putting the Cardinals ahead of the Rams at some point, but you know, you look at the betting market, the Rams are right up there. Uh, they're number one in yards per play at 6.7. They're number 16 in yards per play allowed uh, at 5.7, um, which I think kind of speaks to the idea that this defense um, is a little bit overrated. They obviously have some great players, but they're middle of the road in terms of the production that they have. But they did beat the Buccaneers, lost to the Cardinals. I just I feel that with the overall talent they have, and then the coaching staff that they have, Matt Stafford in that offense instead of Jared Goff. Like remember, Stafford has been in that offense for only five games. He could be better as the season progresses than what we've seen so far, and he's already been pretty good. 
Like he's been a, a top eight quarterback for the season so far. He could continue to improve. And so factoring that into account is one of the main reasons I have the Rams in the top three. And the next team up at number two, you've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Understandable. Tom Brady having another great season at the age of 107. Yeah, the Buccaneers are number one in odds to win the Super Bowl, uh, specifically at DraftKings. But I think almost any sports book you look at, they're going to be at the top of the board in odds to win the Super Bowl. And they will be better on defense as they get healthy. Um, and they're already middle of the road in defensive yards allowed per play at 5.7. So I don't think that their defense, uh, granted, we all know it's beat up in the secondary, but it's fantastic on the defensive line. So as bad as their defense has been, I don't think it's actually quite as bad as we have made it out to be. Um, and then that offense, like we just, we know it's one of the best offenses in the league, especially when they're focusing on the passing game and not so much on the running game. So Buccaneers as the defending champions, uh, as a team with a very good record, still looks like it has a, a pretty good shot of having the NFC run through them. Um, yeah, I have to have them number two. And of course, at the number one spot, I don't think you can really have any question about this. If you've been watching the league for the last four weeks, uh, the Buffalo Bills are, they look like a perfect team. Yeah. I mean, they just beat Kansas City on the road very convincingly in a primetime spot. They're number seven in offensive EPA per play, number one in defensive EPA per play. To, I mean, to have that combination uh, is absolutely fantastic. And I would say, they're probably even better than the number seven ranking they have in offensive EPA per play, because that includes week one when, you know, kind of dumbfoundingly they had a very poor performance against uh, the Steelers. I, I mean, I think if we looked at them now, just on the basis of what's happened in the last four weeks, instead of the last five, they would probably have a number that's in the top five, maybe top three. And then, you know, number two, right behind the bucks, but very close to the bucks in Super Bowl odds. Yeah. I mean, I think neutral field, the Bucks uh would be close to the Bills, but I think the Bills would be favored over any other team in the league, again, on a neutral field. So uh yeah, Bills, especially after what we saw in week five at the top of the board for me. All right, Matt. Well that is gonna round out our power rankings. Where can everybody find all of the great content that you're putting out each and every day? All right. You can find all of my work at FTN Network. On Friday, I publish the Fantasy Football Breakdown. On Thursday, I publish my Best Bets article. On Tuesday, I publish my rankings, which are updated on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Throughout the week, in the FTN Bets Tracker, I'm putting all of my NFL bets, my sides, totals, and player props. And then, of course, on Twitter, on YouTube, on your favorite podcast app, and on FTN, you can see daily episodes of the Freedman Fantasy Football Show and the Degenerate Sports Betting Show. And always, always use the highly original promo code Freedman for 20% off at your FTN subscription. All right, that is the show. Please subscribe to the Best TV channel on YouTube and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. You can find me and Tommy V on Twitter at MattFTheOracle and TV at work. Thanks for joining us and see you next episode. Sports and business both require great leadership to make big things happen. But the parallels between the basketball court and the boardroom go a lot deeper than you think. 
On How Leaders Lead with me, David Novak, you'll find conversations with the top athletes, entrepreneurs, and CEOs to talk about performance, decision-making, communication, and the mindset required to succeed. Listen to How Leaders Lead with David Novak and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.